Joining us today on Superheroes of Science, we're excited to welcome Rick Clark. Rick is a fifth generation farmer from Williamsport, Indiana, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about um, the farming practices that, that he is currently involved with. So welcome, Rick. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. It's always a pleasure to get the story out and, and just get it in front of more people and and hopefully we can we can all learn from some of the things we're doing and and move forward. I appreciate it. I'll say we're we're extremely excited about this. It's uh, I'll say my department is in the environment. A lot of environmental science majors come from my department and stuff. And so it's uh, to find out someone here close, not far from Purdue at all, is uh, doing environmentally environmentally conscious efforts, and is uh, is really an awesome thing for us. But a fifth generation is wow. Yeah, and and you know I've I'm very proud of that of that honor and and we're trying to build a systematic approach to this regenerative farming uh, that will live on for generations to come and and I'm very fortunate I've got uh, I've got my youngest daughter and her her husband on the farm and they have a, a, a almost a one-year-old uh, son now be my first grandson so everything everything is is good everything's life is good so it, i'm very blessed and um it, i'm just i'm just tickled to be here today to, to tell the story thank you it, let's uh, i guess well, let's Rick. start with we so go ahead, Sarah. I asked the last question. You can ask this one. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Sorry. I know there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> the, um, I was just going to say, let's tell us about um, maybe like where you where you started, right? Right. Where you started with the farming. Right. Well, <clears throat> it's um, it's been a long journey. We we have come from uh, uh, the farmers ahead of me and our family have been. Uh, tillers of the soil, and I, I often wondered about other ways of doing things. And and when that opportunity was given to me, uh, what we did was we we really went with no-till was the first thing, no-till soybeans. And once we got comfortable with the no-till soybeans, I'm starting to hear rumblings about these this cover crop idea. So. Like, you know, what, what is this? So I start researching and, um, um, you know, you find out information, uh, you, you're a beginner here. You don't want to, you don't want to have a, a, I don't like to use the word failure because that just brings you down. It's like, you don't want to surround yourself with negative people because they bring you down. So I don't ever use that word failure. It's outcomes I didn't expect. And then we learn from those outcomes. That's, that's how I treat them. So it's very important that a farmer who wants to go down this road have success that first time out of the gate. Because I'm afraid if they don't get success, they won't be back. I've been blessed with many things in my life. I have a beautiful family. I have good health. I, I'm just very blessed and I've been very blessed on this journey because everywhere I've gone, I've had pretty good success. For example, the first cover crop I put out was tillage radish and tillage radish is a brassica 
and it is a, a species that, that puts a deep tap root on and it's got a tuber at toward the top of the ground and it supplies all of those nutrients in that tuber that it's pulled up deep from within the profile and that species will winter kill. Okay, so all you've got to worry about next spring is just dropping your planter in and no-tilling corn right through that, that, that residue that's left. Okay, pretty simple. Okay. Long story short, in the fall of that year we did that, that was the best yielding corn we had on the farm. I am hooked. It is definite we're moving forward with this cover crop, what, you know, this whatever cover crop is, and, and that's how we got started. So that's kind of the beginning and I'm getting up to where it really starts to ramp up. So if you want me to continue, I can, or if you want to uh, stop and ask a question, that's fine. Let me ask a couple of questions because we're using some terms that a lot of people won't understand. Uh, when we just, it, just a cover crop, just saying what cover crop, and uh, then you said yeah. winter kill. I'm assuming winter kill is it dies off through the winter pro wintering process. But uh, what do you mean by cover crop? Yeah, cover crop has gotten a term and basically what it is, it is a living green species that probably will not be harvested as a, as a secondary crop. It is a way to have something living green growing after your current cash crop is done and you're waiting for the next season to start your next cash crop. So it becomes that filler in time of fall to spring of when you were trying to keep something green growing, a living root so that we can constantly feed uh, the microbes below our feet because that's what this is all about. Oh. It's all about building soil health and you need the microbial biome functioning at high capacity to, to maintain that soil health. Uh, a lot of times I will compare the soil to our gut in our own body. If your gut is, is not in balance and you start to feel bad, you, you, get, you get sick. And when you're sick, you're not performing at peak performance and, and things go down for a week or so until your immune system can build you back and bring you back. It's the same thing going on in the soil. If we are constantly tearing down these microbial biomes with, with tillage or fertilizer or chemicals, then all they're doing is spending their time rebuilding. They're not doing anything toward building soil health. That's why on our farm, we've taken everything away. All of those attributes that, that in my opinion, are harmful to the microbes and is what's so important toward building soil health. We've taken all those things away. And so are, do, you, do you plow at all? No. Not no. at all, there's no plowing. This is, okay, let me, Sarah, you, you had a question. Go ahead, I'm gonna stop before I go any further. Go ahead with your question. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, just um, real quick, because since we're talking about the soil, that was one other thing I wanted to bring up is I heard you mention that, um, that the, the deep taproot was able to draw nutrients, you said from the profile, and did you mean soil profile? Were you, are you drawing nutrients from down below? Right. That, that, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't quite get that spelled out good enough. Um, yes, what we're trying to do, um, 
this is very difficult to understand. And, and I, I honestly, I don't know what the long-term effects are. And I mean, I'm talking 50 years down the road here. We are heading into year eight where we have not applied any P or K or that's phosphorus or potassium, which every farmer applies to raise a crop. We've not applied any now going into year eight. We've not applied any ag lime also in that same time period, about eight years. Our pH on our farm average is 6.8 and rising. You want to be in a corn, soybean, wheat rotation, you want a pH from around 6.5 to 7, somewhere in that area. We are at 6.8 and we've not applied any lime. Okay, how can that be? Well, we have taken away the salts and the acids from the fertilizer and we've taken out the tillage and we've taken out the chemistry. And now what's happening is we are promoting the growth of the beneficial species of microbes and we are heading toward what I call balance. So what, now that we've balanced the, the biome out, this, this what I call biome, this, this soil profile that goes from ground surface to many feet down in the ground. When we get headed toward balance there, then all of these micro and, and, and guys, we don't know what, we don't know what a very small percentage of these are called because there's so much here. If you were to take a teaspoon and walk out into a field and, and, and take a teaspoon and scoop up a teaspoon full of dirt and hold that in front of you, there's more living organisms in that teaspoon than there are people on the planet. Now think about that. So there's a lot going on below our feet and by feeding them the, the cover crop, which is another living root, we now are adding diversity to this system and it now can thrive. And again, I'm gonna parallel the human body. The human body has to have diversity. When we, we can't eat cheeseburgers every single day. We would love to, but we can't. You've got to constantly be diversifying your food groups and, and, and eat in moderate levels. And then we will maintain this balance within our body. So how do you, if you're not plowing and breaking the ground to put the seed in, then what did you have to do to your equipment or what other type of equipment did you need to be able to, are, are you drilling now? Great question, great question. Okay, let's go through what, let me go all the way now with what we're doing. Okay, when we, I told you we were, we were tillers of the soil, we've given that up, we're now no-till cover crop, and it's, it's now what I call farming green. So what I mean by farming green is this, we are planting our cash crop of corn and soybeans into a living, growing green cover crop, and then we are terminating mechanically after we plant. Okay. So now with that being said, now we are going even a step further and we are transforming the farm to organic. We now currently have 1200 acres certified organic and by the end of 2022, the whole farm will be certified organic, but it's way beyond that. This is organic with no tillage. 
So what we are doing is we are accomplishing uh, weed suppression with the cover crops. So what we're doing, let's go through beans real quick. We are gonna plant soybeans into standing cereal rye that is at a growth stage called boot stage. And, and just for easy thinking in the region of the world that we live in, boot stage is gonna be around April 25th. Okay. So we're gonna go out with our planter and we're gonna drive right through the cereal rye. It's gonna be about four feet tall. And we're gonna plant right through it. And then in about 40 days, the beans are gonna be at about V2, which is about six to eight inches tall. The cereal rye is dropping pollen or it's called at anthesis. And then we're gonna come in with a roller crimper and we're gonna roll everything flat. Beans, cereal rye, everything flat. And the beans are gonna stand right back up and now the cereal rye has laid down a mat or a thatch or whatever you wanna call it, it's now armoring the soil and it's suffocating the weeds and that is our weed suppression program. That's 70% of it. Now the other 30% is when the cash crop reaches canopy and now it's shading and it won't let the sunlight come in and that will finish suppressing the weeds for us. So this is a very, very new idea. I don't know of anybody else in the country even doing what we're doing. Very few people are doing this. If there are people, there are very few. So what we're trying to do is eliminate tillage completely. We have a few, a few oddball pieces of equipment that most farms don't have, but I really don't want to use that equipment because they're like band-aids. We have to do a good job of establishing the cover crop in the fall so that we can get success on next year's cash crop. So I know that I spit a lot out right there, but we've come a long way. We've been on this journey for 17 years now, and we have gone all the way from tillage to now no-till organic. And I could not be more proud of that accomplishment because we have taken away everything. Even if it's a product that's approved to put on an organic field, we're not doing it. We are trying to do this by working with a symbiotic relationship with mother nature. We're trying to get back to the way it was done a hundred years ago or more. And, and, and by saying that, we also have cattle in the operation and we are grazing cattle across acres that we can get fence built and we can get water supplied to them. So that is full circle. We've done everything now, I think that mother nature has intended for us to do. Now, when you flatten out, um, well, I guess two questions. When you flatten out your the crops to get the grasses to, to lie down, uh, do are you concerned or is there, any impact on the compaction of the soil at that point? No, very little, okay. very, hardly any compaction. We are laying down uh, between eight and 10,000 pounds of biomass. So actually this roller is up on top of all that cereal rye and it's just like a wave going down. Traditionally a farmer will alternate their cash crop. 
And so you'll do uh, what corn one year and, and soybeans the next year. Right. And it's my understanding that it, and it's, I, I have enough understanding to be dangerous, but uh, to my understanding, that's uh, for, to prevent uh, propagation of diseases of a particular plant. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. And, and that rotation's not good enough uh, for what we're trying to do. You are exactly correct though. Most of our neighbors are in a two crop rotation, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, and so on and so on. We have now got this up to six crops and it's not in any particular order. It's corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, yellow field peas, and cattle. Oh. And then I like to say plus one, and plus one is what I call regen. Now this one's hard to get a handle on because this, this is hard for people to understand this, but let me talk this through. Regen is when you take an acre of land out of production and you do not raise a cash crop and you now are focusing on a mass cocktail of a cool season package and then a mass warm season cocktail, and I'll explain that in a moment, and then you can get ready to put the cocktail out that you're going to have for next year's cash crop. So when I go to the northern states to talk like Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, that uh, an excuse I always get is we're too far north, it's too cold, we can't get these to grow. Well, Regen gives you that opportunity because you have the whole growing season to get something established. Now, let me back up. Cool season, warm season. Okay, a cool season package is going to be something we would have done in the previous fall. So we have to have our plan of what our rotation is going to be. And at this point, I have a spreadsheet that's I'm into the double letters wide that has a rotation for the whole farm out to 2028. So I already know pretty much what all these fields are gonna be in 21, 22, 23, and so on. So when you know there's a regen year coming, you're gonna put a cool season package out in the fall, like a clover or a hairy vetch. Okay. Then that's gonna survive the winter and grow next spring, and then come about June, we're gonna put out a warm season cocktail, which is things we typically don't get to do because our cash crops are growing in June. So it's things like sunflower, sun hemp, cow peas, sorghum Sudan, uh, tillage radish, oats. All of these things are warm season and they will all, all those that I just mentioned will all be terminated by the freezing of the winter, it'll kill them. So then by September one, we're gonna put out the cocktail that I want for next year's cash crop, which is gonna be more than likely corn. So now we've taken, and, and we're not doing, I gave you six things that were in rotation. So it's not an even percent of, you know, even amount of acres of corn, even amount of acres of beans. And so it's not that, it's a constantly moving target for example, last year we had 500 acres of regen. This year we're only going to have about 400. Okay, let me finish the thought here and then I'll stop again for questions. The first question is, how in the world can you have a regen acre taking something out of production and getting no income? I don't okay. have to ask my question now. That was my... Okay, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna talk through the but now again you've got to work with me on this. We've got to think differently than we've been thinking. Unfortunately, we always are thinking about this year, this one moment in time snapshot. That's not what we do now. Now what we're doing is we don't look at that region as a zero because look at all of the soil health that we're building in the process and we're getting the platform set up to raise a really good corn crop the following year. Okay, so now what you do is you take all of the year's incomes and divide it by six now, instead of looking at it as a single snapshot. So now when you start to do those kinds of things, it starts to make sense and it gives you that flexibility to now get a cocktail of cover crop in a field that you otherwise may not have had the opportunity to do so. So economics wise, you know, I can see this is obviously much better for the soil. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't think yeah. it takes too much to realize this would be much better for the soil, but most of the choices we've made historically have not been for the soil. It's been economics. And so economics wise, what if we had a, a smaller farmer and um, a family farm and uh, let's say max 800 acres and uh, it's is will they be able to economically to switch over to regenerative farming and start doing a long-term plan and what if so what advice do you have that how they would progress and start into that in order to still i mean you gotta you gotta pay the taxes right right now you got good questions these are the exact things we need to be talking about I am in full confidence that this systematic approach will work on five acres or 55,000 acres, okay? It just takes the management skills, it takes the planning, uh, it takes the, the fortitude, it takes the willingness to change. I mean, that's the hardest thing here. Change is hard. We're, we're so used to doing things the way dad did it, or dad is still doing it because more than likely dad's probably still on the farm or grandpa. And, and I'm not here to criticize the way anybody farms. That's not what I'm about. And, and all I'm trying to do is to show that there could be another way. Now, I, I am way off to the side here, way off. I'm over on an island by myself. You don't have to come over here with me but please come some of the way down this journey. Let's start eliminating tillage because see, every time we till a field, we're releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And that's not good for greenhouse gas effects, which in turn probably is, is affecting our climate. And if you go another step forward and incorporate cover crops, now those in cover crops are taking the sun's energy of photosynthesis and we are growing carbon now. So we are now taking our farm to a negative carbon footprint. And that's exactly where I wanna be. You know, 25 years ago, our carbon footprint was this. Now I hope it's, it's either this or negative. So all of these things I think can be done. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think this can be done on any size scale. 
And my advice to anyone that wants to get started is start easy and don't get in over your head because I'm afraid you might get frustrated and not come back. But constantly research, find other people like me who are talking about this. What you two are doing here is great. This information needs to stay in front of the consumer because right now, believe it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, the 20 the, the somethings are driving the bus right now and they are powerful people and they are demanding to know how their food and how their livestock are being treated. Yeah. And that day is coming and it's coming quicker than you can imagine that there's going to be um, demand for products of, of the way we're raising them. Sarah, I want to say one more thing and I'll, I'll let you, I know you're on a time delay and then you can ask a question here. Here's one more thing I want to say. I've got, I've got a very in-depth slide show that I present. It takes me about almost three hours to do everything I want to do. And in, there's several slides in there that are good, but there's one slide I want to talk about right now. Um, and it's, it's soil health. As soil health increases, so does human health. Now, here's what I mean by that. In the last 30 years, we have lost 25% of our nutrient density in our food that we eat. That's unacceptable. And the reason why that's happening is because our soils are dying. They don't have these nutrients within the profile. The fertilizers and the chemicals are destroying our soils. Now, when you move over to look at our fields, where we have been on this journey now for many years, we're, we're fully taking away the salts and the acids and the, and the chemicals and all that, the herbicides, the pesticides, insecticides, all that's gone. We now, one way that we can gauge what we do is the, the, the levels of minerals and nutrients in our alfalfa that we raise for the dairies. There is a milk scale that Wisconsin uses. It's a 3,000 pound per acre milk scale. And when we send our alfalfa analysis to the lab, we are always bumping up against that 3,000 number, 2,850, 2,900, 2,950. That's 3,000 as high as you can go. And when you look at what some of the neighbors numbers are who farm differently than we, we do, their numbers are in that low 2000 range. So I am a firm believer that as soil health increases, so does human health. This, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it seems to me it's, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's like, it's like, wow. You, you, I mean, you're using less chemicals, which is obviously better for our health and the earth's health. You're, you're using less, you're going over it less, you're plowing less, yeah. using less fuel that way. And uh, having the health, oops, she left, left. Uh, so if she gets signal, she'll come back. But um, to me, it, it is, I, I'm thinking in my head, oh, this is a win-win for both the consumer and the farmer uh, if you can get that to work. And it sounds like you've been very successful in getting that to work well, so, uh, so far of what you're doing. But it, it, I, I'm hearing the patience part. It, it takes patience yeah. and a lot of planning. It's... Steve, it's very difficult. Um, it, it takes a lot of courage. 
It takes a lot of patience. Um, yes, it, it's not, believe me, this is not a system that's perfected. I mean, we've got some fields that are like, Ugh, you know, that's not what I wanted, but we've got some fields that are also cleaner than any of our neighbor's fields who spray multiple times. So again, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying this is a system that I think is going to work and it's going to be viable, but we are a long way from, from perfecting it. And you know, I'm at a point now, I'm 57 years old. I never thought I'd be this old, but I've only got, you know, 15, maybe 17 more tries at this. And then it's, it's up to the next generation. So I've got to make every one of these count. And I want to make this system work and be successful. So I have to say this, I say this every time I speak. What we're doing on our farm is working on our farm, but I cannot guarantee that it's going to work on yours. I mean, this is tough. It takes management like you've never, you've never thought of. You have to be way outside of the box. You've got to be forward thinking. You have to be able to shift plans on a moment's notice. I mean, last year in 2020, we had every letter of the alphabet used for a plan. That's how many times it changed. Yeah. So you have to be willing to do that and accept that that's okay. Don't, and that's why I take the word failure out of the equation. You cannot have that word in because it will drag you down and you will think that you're not worthy of the challenge. But believe me, you, most people are, you know, I, I end every presentation with this comment. Uh, if you are not uncomfortable with what you are doing, then you are not trying hard enough to change. Now, if you think about that, that applies to anybody. I don't yes. care what you do in life. If you're just hitting the easy button all the time, you're not trying at all to change. So I, I try to, you know, I, I don't, I don't need everybody in the room to come with me. I don't need that but I'd sure like to have most of the room at least step out of their skin a little bit and try, try some of these new practices, some of these different practices. Sarah, we got you back. Hey, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say at the beginning that um, I, I get now at the beginning why you said that young farmers or really any farmers interested in, in changing or, or looking into something like this, that they experience that success at the beginning um, yeah. because I can see where, you know, you don't, you have this whole season, right? For one shot, it's, it is, that's a great point. Yeah, and it's even a little deeper than that, Sarah, because let's just use the example that I would say most farm, most family farms are in right now. You have a retired grandfather, you have a father that's within, within his last 10 years of farming, and you have a son or a daughter or a grandson or I'm sorry, a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law going to be the next one. Okay, so let's say that the, that, that third generation person has heard this wacky guy from Indiana talk and they wanna try something on 40 acres and dad doesn't like the idea and grandpa doesn't like the idea and guess what happens if it doesn't work? It's over. Yeah. Never, never right. gonna do in until that young man is in his 50s probably. So that's why I cannot stress enough that you've got to go easy 
and, and start easy and simple and seek out help. Hey, we live in a tremendous state of Indiana. There are so many farmers that are incorporating these soil health practices of no-till, cover crop, reduced inputs. And not only that, you can seek those farmers out, but you can also seek out uh, Purdue Outreach. And you can seek out NRCS. We have a tremendous NRCS team in the state. Stephanie McLean is one of the best soil health specialists in the country. And we have her in Indiana. So there are ample sources of resources. Please take advantage of those resources and do your homework. And then this will be a successful journey.